Hi, friends. Good morning. Uh, my name is Matthew. If you are new to church, if you're new to North Langley, uh, or if you're new to Jesus, we want to welcome you here today. Maybe you've come with a family member who has drugged you to church today, and uh, thank you for coming. Thank you for saying yes. And uh, some of you uh, may have followed Jesus for decades, and uh, we're, we're glad you're here too. That's good. Uh, but anyway, we're hoping uh, that today we would just spend some, some beautiful time just looking at Jesus, just seeing Jesus for, for all that he is and all that he accomplished. Um, if you are kind of brand new to the story, we're, this is a great Sunday to be here because I hope that you will just see clearly uh, what Jesus accomplished at the cross. Maybe it's something you've always wondered, like what did he accomplish? And hopefully you'll see that um, today. Today we begin a seven-week series uh, called the kingdom. It's going to be about the kingdom of God or uh, the kingdom of heaven. It's, it's the same idea in Jesus' teachings. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. What is that? What is that all about? Um, if you've always wondered, well, you're welcome to join us for, for the next seven weeks. We're going to be on this journey to discover what that means. I don't think we can really understand Jesus unless we understand what the kingdom is all about. And today, I think Easter Sunday is a perfect Sunday to begin this series um, because a kingdom is obviously centered on a king. Uh, you have to have a king to have a kingdom. And I hope that today you will see a king. I hope that today you'll see two things. You'll see that Jesus has been crowned king and that the king is alive. That Jesus has been crowned king and that the king is alive. I want to let you know that, that today, um, both on Good Friday a couple days ago, some of you were here for our Good Friday services, and also today, um, I, I was feeling like God was leading me to, to um, not have talks here that are, uh, you know, all about kind of application at the end. Sometimes I'll share stories from my life and try to kind of land the plane, but that these two messages would simply point all of us to Jesus. There's a posture, John the Baptist um, points to Jesus. He points away from himself. Look at Jesus. Go. Look at, the, look at him. Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And I hope that uh, both on Good Friday and today that you will just see Jesus. Whatever it is that he wants to, uh, however he wants to apply these truths in your life, would you be listening? For those of you who follow Jesus, you're aware that the Spirit of God is here in the room. And just open up your life to see what you need to see today. Um, whatever it is that you're walking through, that when you see Jesus today coronated and vindicated, that it will give you hope, tons of hope. So awake my soul and sing of him who died for thee and hail him as thy matchless king. My soul's asleep, by the way. My soul's asleep. We're, we're sleepy souls, right? But the, the song calls us to wake up and to see our matchless king who has been crowned for all eternity. And so Jesus, that's what we wanna to see today. We give you uh, our hearts, our minds. God, I lift up my friends here who are brand new to you, brand new to the story. Would you speak to them? Would they see you in all your glory? And for some of us who have followed you for decades, God, refresh us with a fresh vision of the cross and the resurrection. We love you, amen. Royal.UK writes the following about the coronation of Queen Elizabeth II. Queen Elizabeth II became queen on February 6, 1952, 70 years ago, 77 years ago. That is a long time. 
But she was crowned queen on the 2nd of June, 1953 in Westminster Abbey. Her majesty was the 39th sovereign to be crowned at Westminster Abbey. The queen was driven from Buckingham Palace to Westminster Abbey in the Gold State Coach, which was pulled by eight gray horses. Their names were Cunningham, Tovey, Noah, Tedder, Eisenhower, Snow White, Tipperary, and McCreary. The queen's coronation dress was made of white satin embroidered with the emblems of the UK and the Commonwealth, the dress's exquisite embroidery in gold and silver thread and pastel-colored silks was encrusted with seed pearls and crystals. Can I say that again? Encrusted with seed pearls and crystals. I don't even know what that means, but I will continue. On her way to the coronation, Her Majesty wore the George IV state diadem. The diadem features 1,333 diamonds and 169 pearls. She was presented with golden spurs, a jeweled sword, golden bracelets, the golden robe, the coronation ring, and the scepter. Then, then, the St. Edward's crown, made in 1661, was placed on the head of the queen. It weighs four pounds and 12 ounces and is made of solid gold, solid gold. After the crown, the orb, also made in 1661, was the most important piece of regalia. It's a, it's a globe of gold surrounded by a cross girdled by a band of diamonds, emeralds, rubies, sapphire, pearls, with a large amethyst at the summit. Finally, the queen wore the newly made purple robe of estate. The velvet robe was embroidered around the border in gold. The embroidered robe took a total of 3,000 You're just going to have to underline this in your brain. Listen to this. 3,500 hours to complete by a team of 12 seamstresses from the, quote, Royal School of Needlework. Have you ever heard of one of those? Only in England. The Royal School of Needlework. Where I'm from in Oklahoma, like, we don't have one of them. You know, what is that? This is the coronation of Queen Elizabeth II. The flowers, the horses, the robes, the diamonds, the gold, the pearls and the bracelets, the rings and the crowns all come together to crown the queen. But I would like to say to you today that believe it or not, this is not the most glorious of coronations. In fact, none of the thousands of kings and queens throughout history, throughout world history, have even come close to the glory and the majesty of the coronation that you are going to witness today. None come close. Nowhere close. And today, John, a follower of Jesus, wants you to see a coronation. The glory of the coronation of Jesus. He wants you to see that Jesus was crowned king upon a cross. And here is what his coronation looked like. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe and went up to him again and again saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they slapped him in the face. Do you see the coronation? Why is this the coronation of Jesus? Is this not mockery? Is it not ridicule, bullying, torture? Why is this the coronation of Jesus? Well, look closely. 
Let's open our eyes to see the glory and the majesty of what is actually happening in this moment. First, look at verse 1. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. Pilate had Jesus flogged at least a couple times. One may have been more of a beating and the other a deadly flogging. This is 40 lashes from the Roman Empire. 40 lashes, literally flesh torn off of a back with a Roman whip designed to rip a back open. It's the, it's the kind of flogging that leaves most men half dead. So why is this coronation? Well, would it interest you to know that for, hundred, for hundreds of years before this moment, there was a prophecy about a servant that would come. Hundreds of years before Jesus, the, the prophet Isaiah spoke of the coming of a servant. And this mysterious ser uh, servant would, in some mysterious way, save the people of Israel. Listen to these words from Isaiah 53. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds were healed. He takes up our pain and our suffering. He's, he's pierced for our transgressions. That's sins, right? He's crushed for our iniquities. He's, pun he's punished so that I could have peace. How does that work? He's wounded so that I might be healed, so that you might be healed. By his wounds we're healed. Well, what, the word wounds in the Hebrew is chabura. It's bruise, stripe, wound. So this is how I'm healed. Follow. Follow the idea here. This is how I'm healed. By his bruises, stripes, and wounds. Somehow I'm healed. And this is coronation. At the coronation, Jesus fulfills the ancient prophecy of how the servant would heal the sins of the world through his wounds. Not with a sword. Not with chariots. Not with new fighter jets. Not with bombs. But through his wounds. Next, look at the crown. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. When you hear the word thorns, what, what does that draw your attention to? Is there another story in the Bible where we read about thorns? In your mind, you should think that's a hyperlink back to the book of Genesis, right? Do you remember, some of you, the beginning of the book of Genesis, there's a story called the fall. We call it the fall. It's when the world fell. It's when sin entered into the picture. And sin, when sin came into the world, sin brought a curse with it. It was like a curse was laid on all of humanity. When Adam sinned, listen to the description of the curse that he and Eve and all of humanity would have to live under. Book of Genesis, quote, cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. So in the book of Genesis, we see thorns 
and the sweat of the brow, picture it in your mind's eye, thorns and the sweat of the brow became images of the curse of sin. So it's like we're living under this curse. And when you think thorns and when you think sweat of the brow, you should think, yeah, the curse that we're under. Something's broken in the world. Something's not right. We're living under this curse. Can anyone break the curse? Heal us of the curse of sin. And what do we see at the coronation of Jesus here before Pilate and a Jewish mob? Our king at his coronation will take the curse of sin upon his own brow. Notice the thorns are shaped into a crown and the sweat and blood will run down his brow. Why? So that people would be free from under the curse of sin. At his coronation, our king literally wears our curse upon his own head so that you and I might be liberated, set free. You can amen at any point. (laughs) He wears it. Do you see the beauty? I mean, it does not look like pearls and, and diamonds and gold on his head, but that crown, there has never been a more beautiful crown, ever. And on top of all this, John wants us to see that Jesus wears a purple robe. Did you catch that? A purple robe. A purple robe of majesty. Even though the purple robe is placed on his back to mock him, the robe tells the truth. The purple robe hangs on the bruised and bleeding back of our true king. It's royalty. And even though Probably when the blood dries on his back, it will be ripped off of him as another form of torture. You need to see what we're supposed to see. That detail is not thrown into the Gospels as just like a minor detail to ignore. It's the king. And then Pilate announces Jesus' kingship. John nineteen fourteen, Here is your king, Pilate said to the Jews. Now, finally, Pilate has no idea what he's talking about. He's mocking Jesus. But there have never been words spoken that were more true from his own mouth. Here's your king. Look. Now, finally, do you see your king? He's your king. Do you see his coronation? Even though he doesn't come with the diamonds and gold and pearls of Buckingham Palace and Westminster Abbey, he comes with stripes on his back, the crown of thorns, the purple robe, and the very majesty of God. So let's open our eyes to see Jesus in all of his glory. And he writes, says, look at this man, and you'll see your living, loving, bruised, and bleeding God. Because what's going on here? God has come. The king has returned to his people. This is the return of the king. The king has come to set his people free, to heal us, to pour his love into our lives, and he will do it through the stripes upon his own back and the thorns upon his own brow. Awake, my soul, and sing of him who died for thee, and hail him as thy matchless king through all eternity. And if that had not been enough, three days later, the gospel writers tell us that the king rose from the dead, that he was vindicated. They tell us that the king is not buried at a site that we can travel to in order to honor his memory. No, there's no grave, there's no burial plot. The king's alive. We have a living hope. 
Sunday morning 2,000 years ago, Jesus rose from the dead, and for about 40 days, he appeared to his followers, showing them that he was truly alive. And he gathered them together, and he opened their minds so that they could understand that this was always the plan. That what looked like absolute torture and ridicule and the end of a beautiful life was actually the plan all along. And so he gathers them together to tell them what, the, what was supposed to happen to the Messiah. And the word Messiah, if you're brand new to Jesus, it just means anointed one. And it's, uh, and it's a Jewish image of a king, a king that would come one day. That's Messiah. When you hear Messiah, you think king, okay? And so he'll tell them about the Messiah. Listen to this, Luke 24. Then he, that's Jesus, opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah, or king, will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. This was the plan all along, all along. Some of you uh, may be aware, I'm sure most of you in the room, that uh, a British author named C.S. Lewis wrote uh, these stories about a a fictional land called Narnia. And... um, and it, it, it follows the story of Jesus. There's a lion called Aslan who represents the Christ character, the Jesus character. And this, this fictional land of Narnia is, is held under a curse. And you'll see lots of parallels here between Lewis and, 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 the, and the scriptures. But the, but the land is under a curse, and the curse looks like snow and ice. It's always winter, always winter. And, and, and uh, there's this terrible witch who's, who's keeping the land locked in, uh, under a curse. But there were these prophecies about the coming of the king, that there would be this lion named Aslan who would come, and when he comes, there would be spring again, that uh, there would be freedom in the land of Narnia. And there was a prophecy, and, and, and one of those prophecies is, is read, is, is spoken by a, like a little beaver. Um, this all sounds really random if you don't know the stories, but anyway, there's a talking beaver. And, uh, but he has a really beautiful moment, and he says this, quote, wrong will be right when Aslan comes in sight. At the sound of his roar, sorrows will be no more. When he bears his teeth, winter meets its death, and when he shakes his mane, we'll have spring again. The story for children is to get children to think of Jesus, right, and the coming of the king and winter melting, and spring arriving, and freedom coming, and I don't know where you are at today in whatever darkness, or addiction, or pain, or loneliness, or loss, grief, I don't know what you've gone through recently, but the king has come back, and the king's alive, and he has been coronated, and he loves you deeply, and he wants you to see everything he has accomplished for you, After a long, dark winter, the king is here and the king is alive. Pastor Tim Keller from New York calls the resurrection the good invasion. I like that. The good invasion. The good invasion of a king into my life, into your life. He says, because the king is alive, it will force us to change our life. Because think about it, if you have a king who has been coronated and is alive, this means he will have to reorient our life to restructure our life. If we come under his reign and rule, he will have to begin moving things around. And it's not always pleasant, but he does it because he loves us. 
writing about early followers of Jesus and how much this would have shaken their world, the, the resurrection. N.T. Wright says this, quote, something had happened, something which was not at all what they expected or hoped for, something around which they had to reconstruct their lives. You are invited, North Langley, to, to, to have the king reconstruct your lives. Does your life need some reconstructing? I love that. The king will force us to reconstruct our lives. I, I want to let you know that here in a minute, we're going to continue to sing, and our prayer team would love to pray for you. If you would like to know more about the kingdom of God, they would love to pray for you. If you feel in some way already, day one of our seven-week series, you're like, I need the king to reconstruct my life, they would love to pray for you. If there's just a sense of like, I want to know the love and the power of the king, they would love to pray for you. Would you join them in the prayer room? They would love to minister to you. But this is what the seven weeks are all about. Would you join us on this journey? See, if, if you have a king and a kingdom, then you have hope. Then, then you have something to anchor your life upon. Then you have a new family gathered around the king. Then you have a way to live. He gives you a path to live. And you have a future that's secure. You have all of that when you have the kingdom of God. I hope that, the, that seven weeks from now, each of us will have experienced the reconstruction that the king wants to do in our life. So would you join us? And, and by the way, if you are new to Jesus, this is a great first Sunday, right? To be part of this, to be part of this journey. But here on day one, the simple thing, again, all I want you to do is just to look. Just look. Just see Jesus. That's it for today. See Jesus. And I want you to see his inauguration. The cross and the resurrection are his inauguration. On his inauguration day, they did not cast votes. Instead, they cast lots for his clothing. On his inauguration day, he was mocked with a sign that read, King of the Jews. On his inauguration day, he was betrayed with a kiss. On his inauguration day, he was crowned with thorns. On his inauguration day, he wore a purple robe of royalty stained with his own blood. On his inauguration day, with such selfless, selfless, selfless love, he said from the cross, and just see him in your mind's eye, he says, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. That was his inauguration day. He prays forgiveness for his enemies. Such selfless love poured out for you. And then he rose from the dead and conquered death. And death is now a defeated foe. And death is now working backwards. And the life of the king is flooding into our world and into your heart, I hope. Can we stand together? Jesus the king is referred to in the Bible as the lion of Judah. Lion. It's a kingly image. It's the lion. In Jewish language, for the king, he's the, he's the kingly lion, which, of course, is where Lewis got the image for Aslan. And wrong is now right when Jesus comes in sight. At the sound of his roar, sorrows will be no more. When he bears his teeth, winter meets its death. And when he shakes his mane, we shall have spring again. The king has been coronated and is alive and he loves you. So would you say these words with me? So crown him with many crowns. The lamb upon his throne. Hark how the heavenly anthem drowns all music but its own. 
Awake, my soul, and sing of him who died for thee, and hail him as thy matchless king through all eternity. And hail him as thy matchless king through all eternity. Amen.